Good evening and welcome to another look. Thanks for joining us uh, tonight as we take another look at Jesus' impact on sexuality. Hopefully you've also been part of the Wednesday night time, whether in person from 6.45 until 8 o'clock, or you've had the link uh, made available to you uh, to participate in the Human Sexuality and Marriage uh, teaching time that we've had uh, this past Wednesday, and we'll have again for the next two Wednesdays. But tonight we're going to look a little bit more deeply uh, at desire and how Jesus impacts our uh, desires as we consider uh, the way we are made in the image of God as uh, sexual beings. So let's uh, begin with prayer. We thank you, God, for the gift of your love. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, which means that we are no longer those who are owned and driven by the flesh, but we belong to Jesus and are driven by his spirit. And so as we seek to live that way, uh, bless our time together as we reflect on that. In Christ's name, amen. So one of the things that we hinted at in our text this morning from Matthew chapter 19 is that at least in the first century world, men could allow their desires or their feelings about their wives determine whether or not to divorce. And it raises the question, how should and how do Christians think about their desires? What do we do with our emotions? How do we think through what God has given us? Because it would be easy for Christians to say what Buddhists say, which is that all desire is evil, that desire leads us into wrong places. That's what Buddhism proclaims, professes, that desires are bad. But Christians have never said that. Christians through the history, through the, through the years, have, have always recognized that desires play uh, a warring role in the life of the believer. Sometimes desires draw us to God, to other people, to ourselves in healthy ways. But sometimes desires draw us away from God, away from those that we are called to love, and away from ourselves. And so how do we think about that in terms of what Jesus says about our sexuality? One of the things that I'd like to think about and perhaps uh, recognize is that within our own culture, uh, often desires are flattened. In other words, uh, desires are less about uh, growth or diminishing and uh, instead about immediate response. In other words, if you have a desire for a Big Mac as you're driving down the street, uh, you pull into a, a Burger King. If you feel like getting a snack, you pull into the gas station. Desires are flat in that they don't point beyond themselves. If you have a desire, meet it. 
The trouble, of course, is that within human sexuality, the desires we have aren't flat and were never meant to be. As image bearers of God, our sexual desires are designed to draw us beyond ourselves, beyond even the object of our desire, if it's a spouse, and to draw us to the one who can satisfy that desire perfectly, our creator. Sex is about pointing us to God. It's a reflection of the perfect unity of the triune God. And our desires are given to draw us into perfect fellowship with our creator. But we don't often think about or even live, practice that way of thinking about desire. Desires within our culture are flat. You meet them. That's all they are. They'll go away. Christians, though, however, note that our desires should be not weaker, but stronger. Years ago, someone noted that in many ways, bad or misled desires of a sexual nature would be best dealt with through proper love. Think about it this way. If I thought about all women and loved all women in the same manner that I love my daughter Hadley, that would mean there would be no lust, there would be no misplaced desire, there would be no longing that would be out of bounds, there would be only Christ-centered love that draws me to care for, uphold, and encourage my sisters in Christ. In other words, my desires aren't strong enough. My emotions aren't strong enough. Because if they match the intensity for which I feel about Hadley and my daughter and how much I love her, want to protect her, want to encourage and uphold her and help her know how beautiful she is, how beloved by her creator she is, if that were the way I could live out to all of my sisters in Christ, imagine a world that looked like that. Imagine a church that looked like that, where brothers and sisters in Christ had desires that were much bigger, grander, and fuller, not defined by the flatness of our culture, but defined by God's desire for us. That takes work, however. It takes work to properly order desire, to recognize when it arises, to put it in its proper place, and to ask the question, not, I feel, therefore I am, as if I feel like a Big Mac, so let's go get a Big Mac, but rather, I feel, what do I need? In other words, if this is the desire I'm experiencing, if this is what I'm feeling, what is it that as an image bearer of God who is created for my creator, what is it that I am deeply longing for and needing? What are my, de my desires pointing me to? What are my desires drawing me to? And in this way, it's not just our sexual desires or even our human desires. 
It's all of our desires. What are they pulling us toward? What are they pointing us to? How are they uh, encouraging us to look beyond what is immediately in front of us? We need not weaker desires. We need stronger ones. Ones that help us to see, experience, and rest in our Creator God. We see this show up in one of the Old Testament books that doesn't necessarily get read a lot, but which is an incredibly important one as we think about God's creation of our sexual nature. And it's Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. There we find a number of times the author saying, do not awaken love until it is ready. We see this within our own relationships as we mature, going from dating to engaged to married. We see this in how friendships develop. Don't over share. However, if we put that in terms of our relationship with God and think that God is shaping our desires, and he is awakening in us something of himself and for himself, he and he alone can meet it. God and God alone can meet all of our desires. And he demonstrates the fullness of his love for us. He demonstrates his capability to meet us where we are and draw us through our desires and to him in the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. As Romans 5 verse 8 reminds us, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us in this. God demonstrated his love so that our desires would know what we are longing for, to be met by Jesus to be filled with his spirit, and to be drawn into the fellowship of our triune God. And so as we enter into this week, I would encourage you to consider the idea that perhaps our desires are not too weak. Or, excuse me, that our desires are not uh, too strong, but they are too weak. And if we were to love our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, as we love those closest to us, and ensure that our desires are proper around them, we might be surprised at how the light of the gospel shows up. But even as we work toward that, we are reminded that God satisfies our deepest longings through himself, and that our desires are given in order to draw us beyond the thing, beyond what is created, to the creator the one true God. Let's pray. God, we struggle sometimes to recognize how our humanity, how our sexual nature uh, draws us to you. But our desires and the way that you have made us and shaped us help to draw our hearts and our longings to you, the one who can satisfy, the one who can fill. And the places where we have our desires met in this earthly life are meant to point us beyond to our perfect 
the perfect relationship that we have with you. The marriage of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and us, the church, the bride. So forgive us when we fail to have properly ordered desires and desires that are too weak and stir us by the power of your spirit, a willingness and a desire uh, for more and for you. In Christ's name, amen.